By this point, we should be live. So hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast, Detention Live. I, of course, am Michael, and with me tonight as special guest co-host is Luke Hare. Luke, say hello, everyone. Hold on one second, Luke. You're not coming through. Oh, no. I fixed that, I think. So say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me now? I have the chat open as well. Where I uh, I go back and forth between different um, programs and like streaming video games and everything. Sometimes I turn things off. So you didn't miss a whole lot other than Luke introducing himself by name. So let's just say let's see if it all went well and continue on, sir. Uh, yeah. So I have been for the past year and a half uh, running a specific podcast about the ultimate universe out of marvel uh called ultiversal q is a spinoff of the multiversal q podcast and that is coming to an end early next year uh but part of that will tie into something i'm going to be running at a catacon this year and then that spun off into exiled which started off as a marvel phase rip system actual play podcast and that ended almost a year ago, but I did bring it back this year for a uh, one-shot special. Yeah, for a one-shot special using a game that I that I developed called Grill and Chill, which is a podcast about getting together with people and having food in social situations, because we need games for that now. <laughs> yeah, that's now a fantasy. It's like uh, slaying a dragon, hanging out with your buddies, <laughs> grilling some meat you know it's like getting eight hours of sleep it's something that only happens in role-playing games yeah but uh it, it's a system that i've been working on with some fiasco-y inspirations to it but uh the next steps of that since i've wrapped up a kickstarter i've been sending things out for uh the next step is going to be well am i going to try and publish this somehow and if so to what extent right yeah. and then uh as of last year, I was also running RPG Pals Club, which started off as a Waterdeep Dragon Heist uh, actual play podcast. And now that's continued on. We took a break for part of this year because with the situation, it was hard to get everybody about. And so we did some other games, including a new game called The Exceptionals, which mm-hmm. uh, one of our players made where it's a X-Men inspired game. But instead of just focusing on the powers, it's more about the communities and the way that people with these powers are coming together. And uh, yeah, we have a three or four episode arc about a haunted mall. Oh, all right. Interesting. This is the time for empty haunted malls, I guess. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, welcome back to detention. Again, seems like things are going better. Uh, New York tighter. Jumped in, but says he can't stay. New York Tater, always happy to have you when you're here. And also, Tom Sparrow, thank you for jumping in and hanging out with us for a while. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we're going to kick things off as we usually do here with our extracurricular. And this is just things that have been going on lately you want to talk about. You know, games you've played, movies you've watched, books you've read, video games, pretty much anything that you just feel like sharing a little bit about. um, something you're excited about, maybe even something you're looking forward to, but you haven't done yet. So I'll let you go first, sir. Uh, Recently... Because I'm continuing to work from home until it's better outside, uh, I've been watching all of regular show on HBO Max. And it's one of those shows where they're like 11, 12-minute episodes. They go down pretty easy. And they also have 
after the third season, an annual Halloween special, which it's good to get about one of those every day or so for some uh, Halloween times. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've actually never watched that show. I, I just signed up for HBO Max yesterday. So I've been watching Harley Quinn, and that is delightful. I yes. love that show. Yeah, getting the uh, second season of that to come out when it did made the early months uh, really easy. Like that, and then I think Animal Crossing have been things that have gotten me through this year. Yeah, I, I've never not gotten to the Animal Crossing thing. I know a ton of people who do and love it, but it's just that's never been a thing for me but i'm sorry i kind of interrupted so anything else you would like to talk about extracurricular wise i mean those are sort of the uh biggest things for me most of my reading at this point is uh related to the podcast that i do though the x-men stuff going on right now in comics is all really good and then most of the movies i watch i've been doing a nicholas cage watch through podcast (laughs) called the unbearable weight of nicholas cage and that's also been Interesting. I finally got around to watching The Rock. That's a good one. I like that one a it lot. Is. It is. I, I think that Cage gets a lot of flack for doing weird roles, but then like half the roles that people are like, oh, he's so weird in this are just like, no, that's acting. If you want to go to his weird stuff, you go really early when he's like, I'm going to do a weird cartoon voice for whatever reason. Right. So I, I've had people that I, I trust from other podcasts, you know, people's opinions I value, uh, say that the thing with Nicolas Cage is as an actor, it's all about choices. Like everything mm-hmm. you do as an actor is a choice. And Nicolas Cage just makes every choice. So like he just, he, he mixes everything possible every time in every situation, at least in like his more out there roles. And you can kind of see that it's just like, it's everything. And well, and I, I think that is a positive thing for him though, <laughs> yeah. because like if you go into the IMDB or you hear the things about production, some of the things that make his characters memorable, they don't always make a lot of sense, but they are things that Cage himself has suggested mm-hmm. for it. And usually those choices are like oh, okay, he's a bit more developed than just a generic action hero because of, oh, he doesn't want to have kids in The Rock, and that's an explicit story point. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I I respect the man for his craft, but I also understand the man because he makes financial choices that makes him do more crafts than he maybe should. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I actually think he's a wonderful actor, I just think sometimes he's not the right person for the particular role, but like I said, he might've taken them because of, you know, maybe tax issues. He needs to pay something or he's, you know, losing a house. He has to pay that off. So, you know, he makes choices that, you know, he's free to make. Um, mm-hmm. Again, he's already made and lost more money in his life than I ever will at all. But so he's doing something right. And, and he is a wonderful actor. I think just every, not, not a perfect fit every time. No, but like uh, he did the, uh, not in the mouth of madness. uh, The color of space. Color out of space. Like that was him being like, yeah, I I love this action. I I know the next movie we're going to be watching for it is G-Force. I have not seen that one. Uh, That's the Disney one where it's a team of guinea pigs. Okay. All right. And it's live action animated. No idea what I'm going into for it. 
Well, it's not out yet, but I had we uh, on our Discord someone posted a trailer for a new movie called Jujitsu Master. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, wow, that is a trailer. Folks, if you have not seen it, track this one down. It is a masterpiece. Chef's guess. Yeah, he's, he's got some movies that are going to be coming out in weird places, I think, this year and the next. Because there's also uh, The Unbearable Weight of Talent, which is where we take our uh, podcast title, The Unbearable Weight of Nicolas Cage, from. And that's a movie where he's sort of doing a reverse of that uh dang it uh evil dead uh he's doing a reverse of the bruce campbell movie i am bruce okay where it's instead nicholas cage has to inhabit his most famous roles okay to fight something there's still not a lot of details about it but it's it's fascinating because we've done a range of like rom-com uh nicholas cage to action movie and we're starting to get into some of the uh, more gonzo stuff. Like we've got uh, Mom and Dad hopefully coming up soon. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, that That's the one where there's a virus that makes parents want to kill their kids. Mm, yeah. It's like a, basically a parent zombie movie with the kids as the heroes. Not as much. Like it, it's it's kind of even-handed with the lack of control. But it's also huh. something that I saw at like a midnight movie screening and uh grant morrison the uh comic writer randomly just shows up in the movie why not yeah <laughs> excellent well thank you for sharing uh as for me i already mentioned i just got hbo max just uh, there's a ton of things on there i wanted to watch and i finally bit the bullet i may not keep it forever i don't know but i'm loving harley quinn and then after that i want to check out lovecraft country and I want to check out Raised by Wolves. I've heard nothing but amazing things about all those series. So excited to get to that. Uh, I've been running a lot of games through our Discord. I ran Tales from the Loop this week, which is the first time I ran or played that. Uh, I love the 80s kids on bikes genre of games and often have ran D&D games that were sort of inspired and thematically framed around that type of uh, young adult leaving, you know, freedom, leaving the home adventure type thing. Uh I didn't love Tales from the Loop. It was it was fine. I didn't dislike it, but I didn't love it. Uh, but I also, I've also played Kids on Bikes, which is sort of the other top of mind, literally Kids on Bikes genre game. Don't like it either, but I like the world building in it more than I like the world setting in Tales from the Loop. I know it's an amazing setting, but I like my Kids on Bikes to be more like Stranger Things or maybe Goonies where there aren't these sort of not supernatural, but these are like um, fantastical elements that are just known. Like, you know, hey, there's just robots walking around and flying trains. I like it to be grounded in reality so that when weird things start happening, like a girl with psychic power shows up or you find a pirate treasure map, those are truly extraordinary. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think in the future, I might take the world building from Kids on Bikes, but use the system and the character generator from Tales from the Loop. Uh, if I were to play something again, uh, but it still, it was fun. Um, I got to play swords of the serpentine. Uh, someone ran for me, which is a fantasy hack. It's not really a hack because it's by the Pelgrim, but it's a fantasy version of gumshoe. So mm -hmm. it's the D six system, but it's, it's a lot more fighty than investigatey, but it still uses the same system. Uh, that was quite a lot of fun. And I've been tinkering with a game that I'm calling the plus uh, D 12 system 
because you roll dice, but you always roll a D12 too. So it's the plus D12 system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going really well. It's way early, very raw. But uh, I think I've ran three or four play tests. And, you know, I've got feedback every time, of course. But everyone also had fun every time. So that's, you know, obviously the if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So that's the number one thing I'm worried about. And people seem to enjoy it. So I'm, I'm energized to keep it going. And I'm running a session of it through a catacomb. So hopefully I'll get some people who don't know me at all necessarily, aren't part of the Discord, and get some of their opinions. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I do love that experience of working on new games. I mentioned uh, Grill and Chill before. I was also... Early on in the months of the pandemic, uh, I read through all of the One Piece manga. Okay, which I'm is not familiar with that one. It's been running for like twenty years now. It's big enough that they've had like theme parks, oh, live wow. shows. It's the big manga conglomerate, sort of. Okay, uh, but basically, fantasy pirate adventure i and i was working on a system inspired by that and it's the same thing it's like trying to figure out mechanics trying to figure out how to keep things loose enough that you can just play without needing to get bogged down but still trying to balance things so it's like oh this directly corresponds to this like Mm -hmm. that is important but it's not as important as the players having fun exactly all right. Uh, and then the last thing for me is actually, I think I mentioned this before, but I'm rereading the Wheel of Time series, uh, though mm. I'm actually re-listening because I'm getting them on audiobook. That's when I do my daily walks. That's what I listen to. So I think I just started book seven, maybe book five, somewhere. It's five, six or seven. I think it's, I think it's seven. I don't know. But I'm burning through them pretty quickly and I uh, really enjoying them. I've read the series through. I've read the first few books multiple times because I used to read a book and then read the next one and then read them again until the, for the next one. Eventually, I stopped that because that was became insane. Um, but I remember there's a part where I stopped liking the books. I thought they mm-hmm. got pretty bad, but then it ended well. So I'm kind of interested to revisit it again. Also, quickly going through the entire series just to see how I feel about it. But uh, for the most part, I have to say I'm actually enjoying it, especially the early ones I thought were really, really good. All right. So with that, we will move into 10 things. This is our first improv game. And the idea here is we focus on immediacy over accuracy. We're going to prompt each other to try to come up with a list of 10 things. And we are trying to come up with those 10 things as quickly as we can. Again, uh, a quick answer is better than an accurate or an answer that makes sense. So Luke, you are the guest. Would you like to prompt me first or would you like to be prompted first? Prompt me first. Okay, so I always like to try to tie 10 things back to extracurricular if I can. So I'm going to ask you, sir, name 10 movies that do not star Nicolas Cage, but would be better if they did. So Nick Cage in any, it could be a main main role, side role, whatever, but you add Nick Cage, makes it instantly a better movie, and go. All right, uh, Great Train Robbery, uh, Die Hard, Two. Land Before Time, Three. Little Mermaid, Four. Uh, you know, let's also say Beauty and the Beast, Five. Uh, the live action Beauty and the Beast, get him up in there too, uh, Finding Nemo, Seven. Nightmare Before Christmas, Eight. Uh, American Werewolf in London, Nine. Die Hard 2. 
Die Hard 2, 10. That was very quick and efficient, sir. Congratulations. Gygar68 liked your answers. All righty. So now it's my turn to follow that. So uh, give me a prompt for 10 things I need to come up with. 10 things that would actively be made worse, or 10 movies that would actively be worse if Nicolas Cage was added in. I, I don't think there is any answers for that. Um, Superman Returns, uh, because he almost started that. Or Superman Lives, sorry. Um, Clerks. Forrest Gump. Young Frankenstein. Uh, Goonies. Princess Bride, Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, and Miracle on 34th Street. I think that's 10. If I'm, if that's nine, then I'll add in um, It's a Wonderful Life. I felt like that was actually 11. Yeah, I may have overdone it there. I don't believe any of those movies would actually be worse because of him, but I had to come up with some, so those were my answers. Hey, that's that's how the game works. It's not necessarily about accuracy. It's about speed. That is correct. Uh, Targus is waving in. Targus, thank you very much uh, for joining us. I appreciate it. All right, so now we're going to move into used books. And this is usually kind of the longest section, but not always. This is sort of the meat and potatoes. And the idea is we're going to talk about a campaign that Luke either ran or played in and talk about some lessons learned, what went well maybe that we would want to continue into other games, take lessons from, or what maybe went poorly that we learned from and we don't do that anymore. Uh, welcome, Wash. Happy to have you with us as well. So, Luke, tell us a little bit about this campaign you want to talk about. So, if you listened to the last episode I was on, I was in zero campaigns. Currently, I am in two where I get to be a player. Well, nice. last time I was not a player in any of the campaigns. I was still in a ridiculous number of games, but I'm finally actually in a campaign that has been running... Uh, for about the past six months, it is a Western Marches 5th edition campaign. Okay. And the premise behind Western Marches is exploration as opposed to you have this big campaign and here are all the points you need to hit. It's instead, here are all these places you can explore. Where you go with these and what they unlock will influence the story. And uh, so... My GM who invited me to the game has been doing an excellent job. It's actually two nights a week with 17 players oh. in the campaign. Chibo Pete. Uh, with usually six people, like there's a Friday night group and then a Sunday night group. Friday nights, like the GM knows all these people. It's his continuation of another campaign that ended in terms of players and then the Sunday night group, which is called the buddy brigade uh, rotates in, but I've been in pretty much every game. Okay. So far. So what is it about that style of game that you wanted to touch on? Is it the exploration? Is it the frequency? Like what is it that you thought was interesting? It's sort of the, the freedom that comes with it because well on a level, it's going to be something where, like everything has some degree of this piece connects to all of these pieces by giving the players the ability to come up with where they're going to go for the week or who they're going to interact with or even how they're going to approach problems. uh, It feels 
incredibly just invigorating in terms of the campaign. Like I've played in games before. It's like, we've been at this for a year and my character and I have like no real concern for the other characters. And here, because it is something that we are weekly going to, and because it is something where we're making choices as a group, both as players and as characters, it is excellent. Like um, one of the things I also talked about last year was I had had a premise for a character I tried to run where it was someone who was going to be cursed to die or eventually just fall to evil and they were fighting against it. And I was like, hey, GM, am I able to bring this concept? And they were like, sure. And so I started off with a character who the idea is each week in the or each session is another week in the uh, in-game time. Mm-hmm. So we're now like getting to their fall because we're reaching our fall. Okay. And uh, so it's like, well, what have you done during the week when you're not adventuring? Well, my character doesn't want to interact with people because he's afraid of what's going to go on. Uh, he's just going to move boxes every week. <laughs> and that choice became a bit of like a joke it's like oh of course he's doing this he's slowly building up money which nobody is super concerned with and leveling his milestones as opposed to experience and uh so just getting to play a slow burn character coming out of his shell but then also revealing that oh he's got some sort of elder god inside him he's a warlock he doesn't want to reveal that fact and what happens when it comes out because he's either in a really dire situation or he's really concerned for these people who are showing care and compassion to him that he has never felt before. Like that brought the party together. Mm-hmm. And then playing a character who one week may not be in control of himself and is that other force who is controlling him something that is going to be overt is a covert and are people going to notice right okay so there's a couple different avenues i think we can explore uh so the first one i want to start with though because i've never played that style of game it's called what west marches i think is what it's called uh, western marches yeah. yeah uh but i have played forbidden lands a couple times and it seems like that system i don't know if you're familiar with it is kind of like that as a the entire game so you start with a big map mm-hmm. that the players explore it's it's a hexagon map and you know you have a, one person who's in the lead who says okay we want to go southeast so you look at the map and you know you actually have to roll to see if you get lost you may not go southeast you may go northwest on accident but then let's say they go there then you roll on a table and the table says uh you know there's an old ruin here so then on the map you actually make a little mark that says there's an old ruin or there's a sticker you can put down and then there's like basically a bunch of random charts you can roll on really quickly as the DM to have them explore this old ruin. Maybe there's nothing there. Maybe they fought a dragon. Uh, maybe there's n- literally nothing there and it's empty or maybe it's plains. And then there's certain places throughout the map that are already like, here's a castle that's abandoned. So if they eventually get to it, but they don't know it's there, they might have been told, hey, it's to the east. So I guess my question, and you may not know this as a player, but in the D&D version of this that you're playing, does the game master already have every square decided what's there. And so when you move three to the right, they already know that they, Hey, that's where the dragon's sleeping. 
or are they rolling on random charts to fill in some blanks if you go a direction they didn't expect? So we are presented with a list of objectives and where they are on the map in relation to us, uh, which becomes more important as we have enemy factions developing and rising. And then when we actually go on the quest, we're always going to end up getting to our goal for the week. Because okay. if we're if you only get to play like once a month and the party is going to spend like three hours not going anywhere, that's not really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is every player has a different role in the party going on for the week. So there's like the navigator who they get to make a uh, survival check at the start of the game. And if they succeed on their navigation check, everyone else is going to benefit from that with a plus two to their roles. Uh, There's lookouts, there's foragers, there's cartographers. The cartographers do things like make the map so that if you go through to this location again, you get advantage on whatever roles. Sure. And it's uh, also, importantly, a lore gatherer. And so, like, these are ways of filling out the map for sure that uh, it's like, oh, well, here you see some ruins. You can come back here in the future. Or uh, you find a camp of enemies wandering nearby uh, through your lookout. Do you want to go after them or not? And it is a good way of giving everybody something to do at least once in the mission. Like our uh, last game that we had was essentially fighting to go up a staircase to a volcano. And my character, who is now a ranger, my other character died, RIP, was just like, oh, well, there is not a lot I can do here, so I've just got to keep shooting arrows. But before that, uh, when I was doing my foraging check... I found a other dimensional pumpkin patch. As you do. But it's something that I enjoy. Each character gets a bit of a moment to shine. But even if you don't do well, there's going to be other chances to expand. So when I first started running games, again, I I was a kid. I was like 12 and I was really, really bad at it for a very long time. But I was under the impression, however I got that, that as the GM, I created everything about the world. And so if you walk through a door, I had to know what was on the other side of the door before you opened it. And, you know, it's very common, I think, for a lot of people who start running games to over-prepare and do those sorts of things and, you know, have a map for places that characters will probably never go. And over time, I've got to the point where I'm a lot more loosey-goosey, improv, freeform. And for me personally, I enjoy that a lot more like that's what I mm-hmm. prefer but I think if I was going to be in this style of game I would as a player want it to be more closely aligned with my earlier style because I I don't know that it would be as much fun from what you're explaining because again I've never actually played in one other than playing Forbidden Lands and I ran that mm-hmm. to have the DM say okay what do you find here like like the point of the game is you're saying is like exploration and if, you know, players have narrative input, that feels like it would feel different to me. I don't know. Maybe it would be just as fine. But I feel like that's the type of game where it is going to be the world is set and you're exploring it rather than 
let's decide if there's something here today. And I know you, you mentioned like like say there's four hexes till you get to the the main objective, but mm-hmm. the three along the way, um, I don't know. Again, I this is just an opinion, but I feel like I would want the DM to already know what's there or at least hide the fact that they're making stuff up. Cause we all do that too. You know, like present it as if it was, Oh, you found this particular square. This is what it means. Even if it didn't mean that two seconds ago. Oh no. Like the GM knows what is at whatever locations we're traveling to. And he goes, once we have picked where we're going to the week and it's like, okay, this check will pull up this result and add on this clue to the setting. So it's not as much of a, he doesn't know what we're going to do. It's more of, he doesn't know how we're going to respond. Mm-hmm. Like he he's talked about a few times, the initial rule was uh, we have a base that's called the Outpost because we're all working for something called the, Out, uh, the Outlands Exploratory Committee. And so... Like, one of his initial rules was, there's going to be no NPCs. And our group, which is nicknamed the Buddy Brigade, just started bringing people back. Because it's like, oh, hey, we saved this guy. We don't want him to die. Or, oh, we found these water spirits. We don't want them to die either. We've invited them to come back and live with us. And now it's like, oh, we're building relationships with these. But, uh, like, two weeks ago we had to uh, find our way or we ended up exploring a massive sinkhole uh, and there was a dragon inside of it. And we've had a recurring, not necessarily antagonist, just a bunch of relationship question marks, red dragon who seems to be making his own organization at odds with ours, making deals with characters in the party. And, uh, It was basically, well, the GM knows that we're going to come across this character. What we're going to do uh, is completely unknown because we have a very love-hate relationship with this uh, dragon. We end up inviting him along with us and taking him to the bottom of the sinkhole where we find another dragon who's been protecting the entire area from psychic attacks from our big enemy right now, which is an Abolith. And it's like, well, uh, what if we can convince this red dragon to carry the uh, other dragon to safety? How are we going to do that? And so we completely avoided combat, which the GM was not expecting, and just had about an hour and a half conversation about dragons and consent. And now one of the NPC rangers in the party has agreed to accompany this dragon to dates they're really just missions the dragon just does not understand a lot of uh words and uh it it turned out great that's definitely a bit of a curveball there if if you're the gm but it makes me happy to know that the gm rolled with it and didn't force a combat when the players weren't interested in going that way because i think that's a Mm -hmm. good sign of a dm is you know understanding that what you planned for doesn't mean that's what should happen in many cases, it's the exact opposite. Now, the other thing that you said that I want to touch on a little bit, and I know I've touched on this somewhere else before, but it may not have been detention, that in this style of game, that players kind of drop in and drop out. So you might show up on Friday, but you may not be able to make the next Friday. 
And I know D&D has downtime. It's, it's one of the rules in 5th edition. It's been touched on in other editions, but it's kind of a thing for 5th where you have things your character's doing in between adventures. And so I assume that if your character doesn't make a week, that's what it's assumed that they're doing is sort of downtime. Uh, but do you mm-hmm. ever explore that in the game or is that just a way for you in your own head to say, okay, my guy was moving boxes all week and, you know, maybe trying to earn some extra money delivering pizzas on DoorDash or something. Uh, or does that ever come back into the game with what did you do during downtime and it affects the game in some way? It actually affects the game. Usually the first half hour of the game is what were your characters doing in the past week? Or if they've been gone for multiple weeks, what were they doing then? So some one of our characters is making essentially a beard club in terms of like, or a shaving club using magical uh, like cups for lather and magical razor blades. And so if he's not there, it's because he is working on these cups or... Uh, my current character is a ranger who is interested in cooking things. And so if she doesn't show up for a week, which has not luckily happened yet, she's out hunting monsters, bringing meat back, and then finding interesting ways to cook it. And there's other people who uh, will do things like they found out there's a vampire. They are writing letters to a vampire, or they are traveling to a massive uh, beaver lodge full of beaver people who exists in the area. It, it's, if you want to do research, you can do research. If you want to make weapons or what have you, you're free to do what you want. He was initially just making a list of like, here's all the activities. And then we just started coming up with our own things and yeah. he just rolled with it, which is great, especially when some people might go three or four weeks without being able to play. Yeah. So, Forgive me, but I have to indulge myself here. If I were to run a game that had beaver people, there would have to be a moment where the players realize that they really shouldn't be involved and they should just leave it to the beavers. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, it's it's fine. We have explicitly found out that no, we should not leave it to the beavers because conspiracies within the game. Okay. Yeah. So in in that situation, don't leave yes, it to the beavers. Don't leave it to beavers. Right. I, I, I could see how that would go poorly. Uh, Targris mentions that the medieval gig economy is brutal. Yes, it, it actually absolutely mm-hmm. can. Uh, but one of the things this isn't truly downtime, but it's it's a. I don't have a good name for it. I don't have the vocabulary. There's probably a name for it that I just don't know aware of. But I was playing a, a con game once, a convention game, not a con game. Like I'm trying to you know get money from an old woman, um, and. Frankly, the DM wasn't great. Like, I think they were nervous. They were new, which is fine. We all have to start somewhere. Not a, not a problem for me. But one of the things they struggled with was giving uh, spotlight time to, to everybody. So there were long stretches of time where my character wasn't even around. Because, like, in the story, my character was off doing their own thing. Because, it, we again, it's a, it's a game where we... It was actually kind of a con game, too. Like, we were con artists. Mm-hmm. So I was off trying to do a thing to serve the mission for like an hour. And I wasn't participating in the active story. So I'd come up with 
like a whole story about what my character was doing. Like, you know, the, the scrapes and close calls. And he was also very suave. So there probably was like some seduction involved. And I had all of this stuff in my head that was just as real to me as what the game had. And I kind of feel like that's, I think that should be okay uh, to, to the fact that I had as much fun just playing make-believe in my own head within the parameters of the story as anything that the GM actually explicitly lays out. The problem was, is when I got brought back in, the DM just sort of told me what happened and I didn't get a chance to say no. Like, I wasn't going to take up an hour of anybody's time, but I'd already decided what was going to happen and then they're like, so this, 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 this happened and now you're back in. And I know they didn't do it on purpose, but they kind of ruined this hour of fantasy I'd created. So, I, again, I don't know how to necessarily relate it back other than to say, ask people maybe. let you know, Give them a chance to say, what do you think happened for the last week? And then you know, maybe twist it a little bit. If GM needs to flex a little bit because it, something doesn't make sense, that's totally within their purview. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. That, that really didn't set well with me. And I've, I've tried to incorporate into my own GMing style where if the character isn't there for a while, ask them, you know, Mm -hmm. what did we, if the camera had been following you, what would we have seen type of a thing? Yes. Anding as opposed to no butting. Very much. Yeah. uh, Our GM has been excellent about that. Uh, My, my first character ended up running into mind flares, got a mind flare larva up in the ear and I was like, hey, I had some plans I was going to go. I wrote sort of a dialogue between him, the spirit inside of him, and the mind flayer, Larva. Can we work this out? And the GM was like, you know, you've been working at this for months now. The idea works really well. None of the players are going to see it uh, coming along. And I got approval and... Like two weeks later, my character vanishes. The mission that we were planned on, uh, that we planned on doing, was canceled, and the party tried to go and find what happened to my character because he got out of town. Because you don't want to turn into a mind flayer around all of these people who you care about. Yeah, it's actually something else you mentioned. I just I'll mention quickly. I do a secondary podcast now called Farm to Fable. It's about Smallville TV show. I've been rewatching it and uh, talking about each episode. And mm-hmm. it just when you said that, it kind of made me think about because Clark in the Smallville show has the secret that he's an alien, and he tries to protect the people around him. It's very it's classic superhero. You wear a mask so that the people you love won't be hurt. And in your case, it's like I have this thing that could happen, so I can't be close to anybody. Because if I get close to them, I'm just going to hurt them. Or if they learn about my secret, they may feel differently about me. And it's just very much a superhero, again, motif. But you've managed to work it in a way that works really well for this character concept with the warlock and the doomed prophecy, you know, that they see for themselves. So I guess take inspiration from everywhere, including the Smallville TV show, but, you know, make it work for your setting. I I mean, I think... Having a character who you're willing to be like, hey, power is going to be bad if he gets more of it because that just shows that he's losing more control over who he is. I, I mean, that's something that was really fun to roleplay, even though it was essentially a tragic story for this character. 
tragic stories have a good place sometimes, especially if, if you're part of the architect of it, like you are building towards it and want it to happen or, or you know, are okay with it happening versus it being thrust upon you. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely. I've had a few characters that, uh, you know, died gloriously. Uh, it, it, uh, it was a doomed to begin with, but I got to have some control on it. And so I felt satisfied when that character's end came rather than cheated. I shouldn't probably choose the right word, but if your character dies because of a random goblin D20, I, I feel like that's kind of a bad death. But, you mm-hmm. know, if, if you die saving your loved one or a family member or, you know, just allowing your other characters to escape certain doom, I can I can chalk that up as a win. Oh, yeah. And like the events that led to the death of the character were something where the GM was like, all right, do you want to have your character die here or do you want to take what's behind the mystery box? And I, like we had enough clues that I had a general idea of what was behind the mystery box. And it was great because it was like, we knew we were dealing with mind players. We knew my character disappeared for about an hour or so. Things are going to happen. (laughs) Well, and and again, all good games, something should be happening at all times. Or if not, Mm -hmm. there should be a reason why nothing's happening, which should spark the players to go, wait, this is weird. Nothing's happening and go investigate. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's close that there. Thank you very much for sharing. I really appreciate it. Uh, And we're going to move into our second improv game, which is everyone's favorite part of the show. And that is where fingers been. So once again, we're going to prompt one another to try to come up with a short scene uh, or more of a situation with the other person's job to make it a scene where you have two finger puppets who are at this place or doing this thing. They interact with each other. Uh, we try to have a beginning, middle, and end, though I often skip the middle part of that. Uh, so, Luke, would you like to go first or prompt me first? I'll go first. Give me that prompt. All right. Well, first, got to sing the song because that's always the most important thing. You mean, where are my fingers at? I said, where are my fingers at? Close. I don't really remember the song. It's, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? So, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Perfect. Your fingers are outside of a door. They're about to go inside and pitch a movie to Nicolas Cage. All right. Do you have the uh, Do you have the pitch document ready? I I do. I I I just have some concerns. How? It's it's Nicolas Cage. He seems to be down for anything, and once he's on, other people just fall in. That's how they got uh, Sean Connery in The Rock. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is something different. Yeah, and he wants something different. He doesn't want to do the same old movies that we have done before. He needs something that says, this is going to get him money. This is going to get him fame. Yeah, but is he really the voice that we want? Yes, he is the voice. But we're talking about a My Little Ponies reboot where Nicolas Cage mocaps all the horses and voices them all. Yes, that's at least 20 roles, 20 voices. He's excited for this. He hasn't heard about it. No, he has. He's the one who pitched this. What? Yes. I mean, didn't you see the, the script that we're pitching him? Then then why are we pitching him his script? Well, he, he feels very, very earnestly that 
there shouldn't be any feelings of nepotism going on. So, so wait, are you saying that if we pitched it badly enough that he wouldn't accept his own script or he's going to be playing all 20 characters in a My Little Pony's movie and also doing the mocap for them? Yes, that is, that is Nicolas Cage honor. I agree with Argus. I would watch the hell out of that movie. <laughs> Nicolas Cage mocap all 20 Milo Ponies. I am, you, you sold a ticket, sir. I'm ready to watch it today. Alrighty, and for me, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers consist of two employees at a popular fast food chain who are stuck working in the back while famous actor Nicolas Cage has come into the fast food chain. Hey, yo, Jimmy, I need more fries. I'm on it, Steve. I won't remember those names later. Hey, um, can you see what's going up front? Seems like there's a lot of lot of chatter. I don't know why I'm doing the accent either. Uh, yeah, let me just like, holy bleep! That's Nicholas Cage. You mean you mean Nick Cage? Yeah, yeah. There's only two. Uh, Nicholas Cage. Hey, did you know that he was named after a comic character? Yeah, I'd heard that. And that's where my fingers have been. Uh, again, I skipped cage the fact. Yeah, cage, cage fact time. That's yeah. right. He took his name from actor Luke Cage because he's actually at Cop- Coppola and he didn't want to go and coast on that name. And yet his first couple movies were family produced. But still. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So then we'll move into kind of the last section. This is cryptozoology. We'll we'll do an audience Q&A. We've got quite a few people hanging out with us. So if anybody has any questions, be thinking about them. But we're going to go into cryptozoology. This is where we talk about a monster, usually D&D, but not always. Talk about some ways that we've used this monster in the past and brainstorm some interesting ways we could use it in the future. And Luke, what monster did you want to talk about tonight? I have been inspired by the Aboleth. Dun, dun, dun. So the Aboleth in 5th edition is on page 13. It's the second entry right after the Aracoca, or however you say that, the bird. Aracocra. That's the one. Uh, so in 5th edition, the Aboleth is a large aberration, lawful evil. It is a challenge rating of 10. It's amphibious. It's covered by a mucus cloud that if you attack it with melee, it can disease you and turn you into a creature that can only breathe underwater. That's bad. Uh, it has probing telepathy, so it speaks telepathically. But if it can see you and speak with you telepathically, it will know your greatest desires, which I'm sure you will not use or it will not use against you. Uh, for its actions, it has multi-attack. It can make three tentacle attacks at a turn. It also has a tail attack, and it has an enslave ability that it can do three times a day, which basically turns you into a creature that has to stay underwater or you'll die. And it has legendary actions uh, to detect, tail swipe, and psychic drain. So, uh, you mentioned there's an apple in the game that you were playing, so is that what was in- inspired you? So what was it about that creature that you thought work well and made the game fun so the campaign is sort of set up in different seasons where we have different uh seasonal enemies so the first one was the goblin king who was more of the friday party's enemy as opposed to ours the aboleth was something that the friday party all of their amazing wisdom released upon the world yep and it inadvertently supplanted our 
uh, enemy that was supposed to be in the second season, which was a pirate queen uh, who ended up just losing all of her men. And then the buddy brigade from Sunday was like, oh, hey, we've run into you. Uh, we're just going to give you an out to get out of here because we don't want more pirates who have flintlock pistols to get enslaved. And so since then, it's been this recurring enemy that has been expanded on into a seasonal enemy because uh, we all started at level two. We're currently at level four. And it is something where the enslave ability is taken differently, where it's a full on mind control. And this is sort of a legendary or even more legendary iteration of it. Okay. So it's something that even with all 17 of us on the party, we would get slaughtered if we tried to fight it. Uh, yeah, those, those things are tough. Uh, 17 armor class, 135 hit points. I mean, that's book standard, but it sounds like you might be using even a souped up version. Yeah. Uh, plus, if you attack it with melee, you're going to turn into a water monster. So that's not good. Mm-hmm. It, well, and it's it's something where the Avalith was always just like, oh, it's it's another aberration. Like I had the uh, Lords of Madness book where it's like, oh, hey, here's all this cool stuff about mind players and like, uh, I forget the other enslavery guys who were in the book, but the Avalith was just like, oh, and there's also the Avalith. It looks sort of like a whale in this generation of the book that was in third edition, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here it's become something that our characters are actively afraid of, which is great because it's something that is causing psychic headaches throughout the entire area around here. It's taken more than one of our NPCs and uh, stolen it on the big battle that I had mentioned earlier on the stairs. Uh, we have the frenemy red dragon who got too close uh, rolled a natural two on his save against being controlled and suddenly the Ableth had a red dragon on his side along with everything else. That's good. That that's a that's a good development. Things are going well. Yes. Uh you love to see it. Uh and so uh it, it's it's something where with a few tweaks it has become a campaign level enemy for the party who uh is a genuinely scary figure. I I don't think I've ever actually used an Avalith uh in in a game I've ran, but I just reading over the entry, and I think and I think we talked about them once before, but probably on a different show. Uh, I can see them like I like them as that manipulator, like I, mm-hmm. like because again I don't like creatures that you just got to hit with a stick till it dies. I like to try to use them inter- differently and interestingly, and I do like the idea of them being maybe because they're they're an aberration, they're an outsider. Maybe they got stuck in a place they don't want to be, so they're trying to make the best of the situation. Uh, or maybe they're even like trying to enslave a population to like dig a canal to get them from where they are to like open water so they can, you know, freely get around. Uh, so yeah, I just I like the idea of like, you know, the, the mystery behind it, like almost like a Twin Peaks style. Everybody in this town's acting really weird. They're doing really weird stuff. I almost, I guess, like Miskatonic or Call of Cthulhu. 
you know, because then you got like fish people too, because if they get hit with the mucus, but you have people that are disappearing, you have people doing weird things, uh, except maybe you can't really sleep well at night. Every time you go to sleep, you have these dreams and slowly it's like dr- dr- growing, uh, drawing people mad. Um, driving people mad. That's the word, driving people mad. Uh, more than just, hey, we got to go hit this thing with a stick. So then you could win that encounter not by defeating it, by, but by isolating it. Like, like no one can go here. The town is now a ghost town. You know, keep out, keep out, do not enter. Ban all hope, you who enter here. Uh, and that could be a way to win, but you have to still not fall under the influence yourself and also save all the villagers or townspeople that you can because if it has too many, then it will be able to continue its thing. So... Do you kill the townsfolk that is enslaved or you try to kidnap them and get them far enough away that they break free of the telepathic control? Uh, It could be an interesting encounter with a lot of moving pieces of parts that isn't just, all right, let's all gang up and hit this thing until it dies. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's something that I've been enjoying about the campaign because the way that we were initially seeing it was there was a symbol that was appearing. There was people who were waking up about memories and there was people who didn't know what their name was and so asking people what their name was because the abolith didn't understand names enough to come up with names for the people became this sign of oh this person is under the abolith control this is actively bad so like when we stumbled upon the pirate queen in her base my character went and was like what is your name and there is one person who didn't respond and then ran over to where they knew the gunpowder was with a match, and we had to tackle them and stop them because that would have pretty much killed everybody in the party. And just this feeling of you don't know who is in control. One of the players ended up uh, falling under its control for a while, and they were role-playing well enough to not spoil that. The beaver people that I mentioned before we found out they are followers of the Avalith in the area and went from, oh, this is great. They're beaver people. One of them's named Norbert. One of them's named Daggett. Like the angry beavers. They're here to kill us. <laughs> Very angry just, beavers. Yeah, it, it just the slow rollout, the multiple levels of this plan and finding out that this force who we probably won't be able to kill because it is an outsider uh, is something where we need to find a better solution for it than just being able to punch it or shoot it, which is what we were doing for most of the last game. It was just tossing things in front of our punches and shots. Mm -hmm. And then it took our red dragon, which left us on a very rough cliffhanger. But it, it, it's something where when we're going to get to the end of this thing or we're going to reach an end of it, we're going to feel satisfied that it's going to be like, we earned this level up. Right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I'll throw it to chat. If anybody has used an Avalith before or faced an Avalith and want to share you know, as, as best you can through chat, please do so. Uh, the other thing I'm thinking how I might use them, and this would be definitely a homebrew version because it's not in the book necessarily, mm-hmm. but almost like maybe like a needful things uh, twist where not only the apples can it detect what your most gr- desire is, it can fulfill it with like a cursed way. 
you know, so like there's like a well in town, there's a lake nearby, there's legends about the lady of the lake or the man of the lake who grants wishes, and people are going there and coming back with these trinkets, and they seem so happy, but whatever item they got is actually slowly turning them into something, you know, again, maybe maybe that's how it's in slave works, it's not a telepathic instantaneous thing, it's like a slow burn, so, you know, people hear legends, they want to go get their magic item. And then so people keep going and getting more and more people infected. So you have to find some way to make it make sense that the Apple has access to these or can create it. But uh, I think that could be an interesting and fun way. It Well, and then that's something where you can also come up with interesting ways that these people are transformed by their desires instead of just their generic water monster people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Time Sparrow and Targus both mentioned uh, encounters. So Time Sparrow uh, has a group that just encountered servants of what they think is an Apolith, uh, and they're going to have to steal an artifact from uh, within its lair under the ocean. And then Targus mentioned they once encountered one as a sort of side horror in a homebrew campaign. They were trespassing in dark aquatic spaces, and it was something that woke from the deep, uh, which was scary, which, yeah, I could. that would also be a kind of an interesting thing that, it's not really the big bad of the campaign, but it's the thing that you have to avoid while you're getting the MacGuffin for the big bad mm-hmm. of the campaign or, or the step thing. It's like, you know, we, we don't want to fight this. So we need to find some way to get the thing we need without disturbing it. Uh, so then the question becomes, what does an Aboleth want? If it, it can know your deepest desire, can you find out what its deepest desire? Maybe it just wants a My Little Pony movie with Nick Cage and you, you put that together and then it's happy. But, uh, you know, who knows? All right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. Uh, So again, we'll throw it out to chat. Uh, If you have any questions for Luke and I, they don't have to be gaming related, though that often makes the most sense. Uh, And Mm -hmm. while we're waiting for anybody in chat to think of questions or the delay, Luke, one more time, where can people find you, find your work on the internet? Where would you want to send them? What would you want them to check out? Uh, So you can find everything that I do business related but also enjoyable things related on my website which is lukehair.com l-e-u-k-e-h-e-r-r where you can find all the podcasts that i've been on including guest spots i've been doing a star wars edge of the empire uh special for a game recently called new uh for a show called new republic radio where i play an eccentric uh twin peaks detective in more of a david fincher-esque crime movie okay uh but it's Star Wars. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, so Tom Sparrow asks, must watch Nick Cage movies. So I'm going to limit you to three. So okay. top three Nick Cage movies people should watch, assuming they haven't watched anything Nick Cage is in. Okay. So if you're looking for Nick Cage movies to watch, uh, and I'm just going to go based off of some of them that we have watched on the podcast. I think The Rock is definitely there. Like The Rock is classic. Nick Cage, Sean Connery, trying to break into Alcatraz. Uh, and then if we're going to go for another uh, com or for another action movie, Con Air is pretty much unbeatable. Nick Cage was a man who was sort of wrongly put into prison and is now traveling to get home to his wife, but the prison airplane that he is on gets hijacked and he has to save the day. But it also has a great cast with tons of other people, including 
like Dave Chappelle randomly shows up in it. John Cusack is in it. Steve Buscemi is in it. John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for the last one, I'm going to throw in a curveball. Honeymoon in Vegas. Oh. It's rom-com cage. The premise is his girlfriend has been wanting him to get married. He is a private detective whose mom left his uh, dad, so he doesn't really believe in love. And then it turns out that a casino owner who lost, or a major gambler at a casino who lost his wife, uh, his dead ex-wife looks just like Nick Cage's now fiance. He tricks Nick Cage into a poker game and ends up winning a weekend with her. So Nick Cage, who has been hesitant to commit, has to find a way to save his fiance, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, and get her back. It's a very weird movie, but it also ends with Nick Cage dressing like Elvis and skydiving. Oh, I mean, those are two things you want to see in more movies. Uh, the I would probably pick couple of the ones you picked, but just to give contrary answers. Um, I think, is it called Adaptation? The Charlie Kaufman movie? Uh, yeah, that is one of them that we're going to be watching in our next batch of four after G4. So I've only watched it one time when it came out a long time ago, but I remember being deeply affected by that movie and very impressed with Nicolas Cage, who plays twins. So he's playing two roles. And mm-hmm. it is immediately apparent anytime he's on screen who he's playing. Like, there's never a moment where you're like, wait, which one is he? You always know which one he is. It's a, it's a really good performance. Uh, Knowing, which is a very dark movie, I really enjoyed. Um, wait, I think I'm getting, because there's, there's, there's two movies. There's one where Nick Cage can see, like, 12 seconds into the future. I think that's Knowing. And then there's a different one. I think called uh, How Does It End or something like that, where um, it's a mystery about other things that are apparently predicting the future that he catches on to. I think that second one is knowing because it mentions a time capsule. And yes. So no, so knowing is the, uh, so that is the mystery about future predictions. And then there's another movie where he can see just like literally like 15 seconds into the future and um, he gets recruited by the FBI to try to hunt down uh, like a nuclear bomb that's about to go off or something. Uh, I can't think of the name, but if you, if you search Google uh, for that plot description, I'm sure you'll find it. So those would be my three. Uh, thank you, Tom Sparrow, for the question. Uh, Targus asked, uh, any games that you haven't gotten to play that you're really excited to? Uh, so I've been trying to find... This is more of I'm also looking for suggestions. A good Fallout system based on like the Fallout RPG video game series. I've been trying to find something good that captures that experience, but like the recent game from uh, Modiphius is really a uh, like miniatures game where they just grafted down some RPG elements, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fan projects out there. But none of them kind of get the simplicity, which I think is more of a sign that I just want to go back and play Fallout. Mm-hmm. Uh, but any time that I can uh, get a chance to use the Edge of the Empire system, that is something that I am always very excited for. All right. Uh, I've actually 
crossed a bunch of games off my list recently, just in the last few months. I've been running a bunch of things through our Discord. Like I said, I played Tales from the Loop earlier this week. Uh, I'm sure there's tons of games I don't even have that I would want to play. Uh, certainly ones I'd like to play more often. But I think about the only thing that's on my list of I've never played that I want to is Mouse Guard. That has been on my list of want to plays for couple three years now and every convention i go to i look for mouse guard games there's usually only one or two and they sell out instantly uh, so and it's a game that i don't really want to run i want to be a player for it but i don't know many people who who, who do run it uh so i i that may be like 10 years from now i might finally get into a game when there's like mouse guard 7 edition and i get to play in the second one or something i don't know uh, but yes, I think at least trying to, I'm trying to mentally go through my, my shelf over here. I got all my books laid out, um, what I haven't played that I would want to. And I think that's, that's the only thing come top of mind. Uh, in response to Targus's uh, comment, I have not looked at the Genesis setting for Fallout, but that is something I should probably look into. Uh, I, I've got another podcast actual play going on called established property playhouse where the premise is we're taking established properties and trying to tell different stories right now we're doing a kid series using uh pokemon 5e but uh if the rules work enough for what i'd like to do and it's easy to build things out uh that might definitely be the way i approach Okay, yeah, so Target says he's going to drop a link on the RPGA Academy Discord, so yeah, please do. That would be very cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're not on the Discord, let me know. Look, I'll, I'll get you that link. I am not on the Discord. Well, we, one, we could fix that, but two, I can send you the link through email if, if necessary. Um, so uh, one last call for questions. Thank you both, Tom Sparrow and Targus, for those uh, while we're waiting mm-hmm. again for things to catch up. So as for myself, my name is Michael. I think most people here hopefully know who I am, uh, the RPG Academy. Everything I do can be found there. And check out my other show, Smallville, Farm to Fable. I've, I'm having a lot of fun. We just finished season one, uh, 21 episodes, and then I have two episodes recorded for season two. We're going to wait till we have four or five in the can before we start releasing them. But uh, season two was the most popular season of the show, if you look at the ratings. But it starts off very uneven. There's some really good episodes in there, but the first two are a little bit wonky. And I've usually found that the ones that are wonky are the most fun to talk about because there's interesting things. If it's all great, you're just like, oh, that was great. Uh, mm-hmm. So the ones that aren't as great might be more fun, hopefully, to listen to as well uh, as uh, watch. Uh, beyond that, detention is every other Wednesday. So we'll be back here in two weeks uh, with another guest and another you know conversation. Uh, in the intermediate weeks in between that, Tom runs Ghosts of Saltmarsh on uh, Alternating Wednesdays, which is a 5e actual play that they've been running now for a very long time. They're very far into it. And then on most Monday through Fridays during the day, I've been streaming video games. I'm currently doing a playthrough of Dragon Warrior 2 from the old Nintendo Entertainment System. Just got the ship, and I'm completely lost. I have no idea where I'm at or what I'm doing, uh, so that's fun. So, all right, I didn't see any other questions pop in. So one last time, Luke, say hello to everyone or say goodbye to everyone. And if there's anything else you want to plug or talk about, go for it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be running two games at a catacomb that is coming up at the start of next month. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm I'm going to be running a playtest of the Grill and Chill system that I've made. Uh, Part of it has a co-GMing segment where you get to make an invitation to a party, which I think will work a lot better online when you can just toss something together very quickly for that uh and then i am going to be running a marvel phase rip 
uh, game based on the Ultimatum Comics event, which is a classic example of an awful comic, but I did a documentary-style two-hour-long special about it. My opinions on it have changed somewhat. I don't like it. I can respect it. And uh, yeah, that should be a fun time. I think both of them have like five slots open for players. So if you're looking for something to sign up for, check those out. Yeah, I, I'm also running a, the game I'm working on, that uh, Plus D12 system, and I'm running a face rip game. I'm running my Avengers uh, Some Assembly Required adventure, which I've run at several cons, which I think is a, a ton of fun. So I, I'm always happy to see more face rip in the world. Uh, it just makes my heart sing. Yeah, I did uh, 12 phase rip one-shots last year to wrap up Exile, and it was great to get back into that system. Also horrific to get back into yeah. that system. Yep, I have a lot of love for that system. I don't think it's a very good system. But with that, we will go ahead and sign off. So I thank you again, everybody who's watching now. I really appreciate the, you know, the questions, the interaction chat. It makes everything so much more fun. If you're watching in the future... Please come back and join us uh, in the future for a different Twitch episode where you can be live and interact with us and all that kind of good stuff. Luke, thank you for joining me tonight. I really appreciate you jumping in uh, and being a co-host and sharing your thoughts and insights so that we can build off of them and talk about them because that makes the show more interesting as well. So we will do the awkward wave out and say, all right, goodbye, good night. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show, and if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.